Welcome to the Jeff Eby Show. Jeff Eby Show. Where the talk is all about Dixon County. Welcome to the Jeff Eby Show, where the talk is all about Dixon County. I'm your host, Jeff Eby, and today is March 25th, 2022. And please like and share this video if you're on Facebook right now. And on YouTube, our YouTube channel, please like and give me the thumbs up. And we are also on Spotify now, so be sure to tune in there also. Today we uh, have really some special guests. Their representation of the FBI. We're so, we're, I mean, just really excited about having y'all today. But we have agents Beth Kreppen, yes, and Kevin Varkness from the FBI, and mm-hmm. y'all are actually out of uh, the Nashville office, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we were talking earlier, uh, just just so our audience understands, the, the field office is actually in Memphis, right? Correct, yeah. Right now, the field office is in Memphis. Uh, there's also a Nashville field office, or Knoxville field office. Right. Nashville falls under Memphis. Um, but in a couple of years, it's been approved that those two offices, Knoxville and Memphis, are going to combine, and Nashville will be the awesome. headquarters office for yeah, Tennessee. Yeah, it'll, it'll be more of a central location, Correct, too. Yeah. You know, so. yeah. Well, let's, let's get started with you now. Just mm-hmm. kind of give me your background, kind of how you got started. What, what do you do to become an FBI agent? Kind of just give me that kind of overview. Oh, there. goodness. Well, um, myself, I came from northwest Indiana, and that's where I was born and raised. And I was a deputy prosecuting attorney for St. Joseph County, Indiana, before I got into the Bureau. I had always wanted to be an FBI agent, and so I applied uh, back then, which was 18 years ago. I applied online. There's different phases through the interview process, and right now you can find all of that information on FBI.gov website. It lists out the requirements for getting in the Bureau, as well as you know the phases that you go through and the, the steps, if you right. will. And um, so in 2004, I got into the Bureau, uh, applied, was accepted, um, what is that surprised. process like? I mean, is it is it a long process? It can be. It varies. It depends on your background. So uh, me being born and raised in Indiana, not really traveled much back then. Uh, it, it was pretty simple to do my background investigation. So it took, my process was about six months. Uh, back. It also depends if there is a need at the time and we have a huge hiring process or a huge hiring um, pool that comes in and we want to, you know, maybe a deficit of agents that we need to make up. Right. Otherwise, there's also times where there's hiring freezes um, based on budget, based on if we have a need and that sort of things. And at the time, there was a need and it was pretty much fast-tracked, especially there's always a need for, in my opinion, female agents and quality female agents. And so fast-tracked, I got in. Went to the academy, which is about 21 weeks now long. It's in Quantico, Virginia. Uh, very interesting experience. And when I graduated, I was sent in a to Chicago field office, and that was my first office. I was there for about 14 years. I was assigned to a gang task force up there, uh, primarily worked gang investigations. My specialty, if you will, during that time was actually the Latin King gangs in- oh, investigation. Wow. That's what I 
primarily focused on. Right. And then the last two years that I was in Chicago, I actually was a crisis management coordinator. Um, since 2011, though, I was the crisis negotiation coordinator there as well. That's considered a collateral duty, so you do it in addition to your main focus, if you will. Right. So my main focus was game investigations, but I was also on the negotiation team since 2006, <laughs> but became the coordinator in 2011. It's my passion. I love cool. being a negotiator and was lucky enough to get to the crisis negotiation unit. That's also in Quantico, Virginia. Went there in 2018. and Yeah, um, that's all like additional training, right? It is additional yeah. training, but I was full-time a crisis negotiator for the FBI. We were attached to the hostage rescue team, HRT, and we would deploy with them if they uh, went out around the country, you know, even possibly overseas if there was a need. We handled international kidnapping cases as well as taught negotiations both to our local partners, FBI agents, and overseas. So I've taught courses in Romania, Moldova, Nigeria. Um, I've gone to London for additional training as well through the London Met course. And it, uh, it, it's a wonderful career there. Right. Um, loved it. I have two kids, so travel got to be a, a little bit of a, a bear. Yes, and, I can imagine. Uh, yes. So I wanted um, a little more stability and always wanted to come to Tennessee, so was lucky enough cool. to uh, receive the, currently I'm the Joint Terrorism Task Force Supervisor in the Nashville office out of the Memphis field office, and uh, it's, we basically, I run a team of task force officers and, and agents who investigate international terrorism and domestic terrorism, cool. and uh, I am also the supervisor over the crisis negotiation team, and uh, in addition, supervisor currently over the evidence response team and weapons of mass destruction program right right okay kevin uh yes go ahead and Sorry. give us give us kind of your background a little bit okay so i uh, i actually processed out of minneapolis and that's where i was born and raised so my background was in information technology computers had a computer science degree um did some data recovery work some voice over ip deployment work other technical work and that actually fast-tracked me getting in with that type of background. So um, I got into the Bureau about age 26. And that process for me, though, was 20 months, not six months. Oh, really? <laughs> it fast-tracked me because of the age I was able to get in sure. versus how long the background took. And um, there was nothing complicated with my background. It's just... That's how it worked. Yeah, I know. The older you get, the little more complicated it gets. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so. So is that, because uh, like in the military, you know, like I, in, in, in military intelligence, I had a, like a TS mm -hmm. with an SCI. Is that the same type of thing that y'all have to go through? Like getting those clearances and stuff? Yep. We're yeah. cleared top secret. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's, it's, it's a long process. It can be. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it depends. If you have, you know, family and relatives that are overseas, obviously it takes right. more time for us to do a background and, and find out more information about them. And right. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so cybersecurity, that's kind of your specialty, right? Yeah, it didn't start out that way. Um, you know, you go to Quantico. Back when I went in, it was 20 months uh, or 20 weeks, and I think mm -hmm. they have it trimmed down to 16 weeks right now. Um, and then following that, I was also assigned to Chicago as my first mm -hmm. office. And cool. um, for whatever reason, they even with my background, um, you know, the cyber division was still fairly new. And they assigned me to work white collar matters in what we call the South Resident Agency in Chicago. So that's, that's where I started out. And I worked white collar matters until I was off probation. And then they... Um, 
said, hey, uh, you know, we actually need more cyber people. Why are we having you work in white collar? So right. then, then I went and worked computer intrusions from basically then on. Yeah, that's a whole different ballgame mm-hmm. when, when you get over into that. Yeah. So did y'all have cultural shock coming to Middle Tennessee or not? <laughs> not at all. I've visited here often, oh, really? and I love the area, yes. So, um, so I know it's a little bit fan. different than Chicago, but... It is a little different. <laughs> it's warmer, thank goodness. Yes. Uh, yes, yeah. It's quite cold in Chicago. Yeah, I know. I, I was up there, I don't know, it's been several years ago for a UFC fight, and it was like in January, and... Like, we got off the plane, I took the train in, mm. and then, you know, just walking to the hotel, you know, you go uh, in between those buildings, and then you hit the street, and it's like that wind, wind. just knocks you down almost, yes. you know? <laughs> I just thought, whoa, I don't know if I can uh, live up here. And ironically, people think it's the Windy City because of the wind, and that wind off the lake really gets you, but it's Windy City because the politics and the change right. in that nature. Right, That's how right, we, right. So, y'all, I guess y'all got acclimated down here, mm-hmm. and, you know, how do, do you do you live around Nashville? Or? I do. I live uh, just northeast of Nashville in okay. Hendersonville. Love it. It's, yeah. a, it's a great That's little a town. That's a growing place, isn't mm-hmm. it? It is, yes. Man, yeah. every time I go through there, I was thinking, where did all this come from? Just yeah. like Nashville. Oh, yes, know? yeah. Every time uh, I drive to Nashville, it's like a new building's going up somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, I moved in in the fall when housing prices were through the roof, and uh, there's a lot of people moving here. Right. So it... Yeah, it's still going up. It's yes. Still going up. Yes. So, you, Kevin, you live in Nashville, too? I, I, I yeah, just it. outside of Nashville, just to the east side. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, more down towards the 40, Interstate 40, that area. Right, right. Yeah, Wilson County. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you yeah. kind of got acclimated over there? Yes, yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> nice place to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great community. All right, All right we're going to go to break, and uh, we'll be right back. Now, when we get back from break, I want I want to talk a little bit about some cybersecurity stuff, because I think our people mm-hmm. are going to be interested in... Yeah. How, how they can, um, you know, help their service at home be secure and all that kind of stuff. So sure. uh, when we get back, so stay right with us. We'll be right back. carrier doesn't have to be one of them make a choice you won't regret the foremost choice are you looking for your dream home well lee realty group guarantees you the perfect home with our expert agents that have over 100 years of combined experience you are assured 100 customer satisfaction if you are buying or selling lee realty group is your local veteran-owned real estate company Contact us now at 615-446-2006 or online at LeeRealtyGroupOnline.com. Like us on Facebook at Lee Realty Group.
choices. Your insurance carrier doesn't have to be one of them. Make the choice you won't regret. The foremost choice. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we welcome you back. Uh, again, we're here with uh, some FBI agents who have uh, just uh, come and just and was asked to be on the show, and they just uh, were great, gracious in coming on our show. We really appreciate that. But before we went to break, Kevin, we were talking a little bit about some cybersecurity. So I want to talk a little bit about um, people's home networks. I mean, what sure. what can what can they do to try to shore up some security there uh, on on that side? Yeah. Um, where do you want to start? I, I suppose we should probably start with probably the the backbone of everyone's home network, which would be their their Wi-Fi, their yeah, the um, the router, and um, uh, one of the quick and easy things that you could do is you change the name of your SSID, na- name of the um, network, right, and then also make sure you change the router password for configuration. So those are two really simple things that you can do that increase the security of your network. Right, because a lot of people just leave them um, what they were initially set at. And so, like, I guess criminals can come in there, and they know that, right? So they can hack into your... Well, it's not quite that simple, but yeah. if if it's a default configuration, who knows what could happen? Let's say you, um, you have somebody come over to repair your refrigerator, and they need to get on Wi-Fi for whatever reason, so you let them on. Now they, they're on your network. They have direct access to your router. Right. Um, so to mitigate some problem like that, you you can leverage the guest Wi-Fi right. on most routers today. Right. You know, make sure that's set up and has a password and give that out. And so, so it's separated. It's what we call segmented. Right. Two different networks, really. Does it matter if the guest doesn't have a password, like the, that, that account doesn't have a password on it or not? I recommend putting a password okay. on everything. If you leave it open, then all your neighbors are going to be jumping on it. And they're not going to be paying for internet. They're right. going to be using yours. <laughs> right. And you're going to be wondering why your um, your Netflix or YouTube or whatever is slowing down. Right. Right. Get everybody on there. Yeah. Right. Right. So what, is, what are some other things? I mean, like past that, I know once you get into the, like your computer or your devices that are connected to that, uh, what are some things that, that you need to do? Sure. So if we're talking general laptops, computer systems, um, the traditional things like antivirus, make sure that's running, make sure it's updating, uh, make sure all the software updates are installed. Those are typically a lot of security patches. Um, those, those are a couple of the, the main things. And then we should probably start also talking about, you know, how we use our passwords, you know, a lot of people reuse the same password. That's yeah, not no, a good idea. I'm guilty of that too. <laughs> yeah. There's there's databases out there on the internet that probably have your password in it. Yeah. Because what they do is is they they'll they'll hack an organization, and let's say it was um, subscription to the Jeff Abbey show, right? right? And then you use like oh the 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 easy password that I can remember on that show, and then you use that same easy password on your your checking account or something. Right. So they're able to reverse the hash of that password 
and and then they put that in you know like their own little database and they distribute it on the dark web so people's passwords are out there so complex passwords are important we talk about pass phrases and then to keep track of all those you can have a password keeper or a password safe right and um, there's some there's some uh like programs for that too Yes. Like uh, on your iPhone or whatever, you can have like, because I've seen some of them where you can have like a download a program that collects, I guess, and keeps all your password. Is that pretty safe, you think? Well, it's, it's only as safe as you keep it. So there's a password for the password yeah, I know, safe, exactly. right? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably better than writing it down. You know, that's yeah. the alternative, however you do that. Um, a good way... Besides just using a password safe, uh, the, the multi-factor authentication, you know, the two-step verification. Right, I know. That's, that, yeah, everybody's kind of going to that now. It's going standard today. Now, I say that's not 100% today because um, if I get you to click on, you know, my malware on your phone, I can intercept that code right. if it just goes to your phone. Or if it's just a text message going to your phone, I could, um, you know, call and trick your phone carrier into using the SIM card I have, plug it into my phone, and then I get the text message, and then right. I can I can log in. So it's not 100%, but that is probably more up towards the you know 98% solution. Because with security, you, you need to talk about access to things and um, ease, of, ease of use, ease of access, and then risk management. So, um, you know, h- how hard do you want to make something to be to get at, right? So if, if like distribution of your show you want that to be readily out there right so you're not concerned about security of of your youtube channel right um but you know for something else that you are concerned you you want to you know take a lot of caution and protect it now how easy it you know because i've heard these stories about people hacking into their home system and then getting on their cameras and, and watching people in your house yeah i mean how pervasive is that do you think Okay, yeah, um, we, we should, might as well talk about Internet of Things, too, if we're right. going to talk about specifically those cameras. So what I say is, and I, I've had, personally I've even had to look into this just, you know, because I have a lot of kids. And right, I exactly. You have a way to keep I mean, tabs I, on I don't know if you remember, I, I saw that one where somebody hacked into the kids. Uh, Baby cam. Yeah, and was yeah. talking to them or yeah. whatever. And it's like, mm-hmm. what? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's scary. It is yes. scary. So... When, because of this new space with technology, this Internet of Things, and uh, a Wi-Fi camera kind of fits into that. Right. Um, there's a lot of vendors out there. There's a lot of suppliers. You know, you can. There's tons of little companies popping up in places like China where you know they don't really have an eye on security. They just like let's make this thing work. Let's make it cheap and let's get it out there. Right. So you, you need to know if you're dealing with a reputable company. Not that I, you know, they're not trying to put software out there. Well, there might be some places that yeah. are trying to trick you, but they're not really trying to put something out there to put you in harm's way. But they're just trying to make a buck, and they're not doing adequate testing. They don't have programmers that know how to check, you know, input into code. Um, they're making it ease of use, right? E- easily accessible. I want right. you to have access to it on the internet. And right. it just so happens that when I do that, I punched a security hole in it. Right. And so you've you got to be really careful about the vendor that you're buying it from is what I say. Right. If, if it's not known, I'd, I kind of avoid, it. I'd stick with 
mainstream players that you know have an eye on security if, you know, personally you're dealing with something that's important to you. Yeah, because some of those cameras are just easy to plug and play. I mean, yep. you just basically set them mm -hmm. up, hit a few things, and you're, you're, you're golden, you know. Yeah, I know. plug and play for everyone else, yeah, too, I know, right? exactly. Exactly. So it makes you wonder about that, you know, about, yes. um, you know, people intrusion into your network or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, if you stick with more of a, a mainstream company that's building the device that does hopefully talk about security and in some fashion, then um, then you're a lot better off. Now, what about appliances? Because, you know, the big thing now is all your appliances are now hooked up to the Internet, right? Sure. Is there, and I don't know, and I, I don't have one of those, so I'm not sure if, uh, I guess you have to do some kind of setup on those or whatever, but it, it would seem to me those are, could be really vulnerable, you know? I don't know. Definitely. There's, um, you know, there's definitely bad actors out there that are looking to exploit devices out there on your your home network there are security vulnerabilities on s some of these devices um depending upon how smart this smart device is yeah. depends upon what it can be used for like you could have something like a smart tv that's running a little operating system in the background and things that it could potentially turn into a camera mm -hmm. If there's a camera on the TV or a yeah. botnet or something something else nefarious, um, so you do have to be careful. It's just everything's moving in that direction, right? So that's why, you know, it's you know we could also you know when cars came out, cars were dangerous, right? So oh, you know, stay stay walking, walk place, horse and carriage. Well, you know, the cars start going faster now. We're on the internet; it's going faster now. Right. Everything's getting connected. So rather than fighting it, I think we should try to figure out how to just be more secure when we're doing it. Yeah. I don't know if you read, I, I read the other day that <clears throat> the uh, Tesla vehicles, like, and I think I was reading that, that they were doing this over in Russia, like uh, just shutting everything down, shutting the cars down. Mm -hmm. Like they can do it from where, you know, from the, you know, their main headquarters or whatever, just shutting certain vehicles down. And I heard that they could actually, I don't, I'm not sure if it's true, like if somebody uh, is behind, you know, they want to repossess the car, they can just drive it back to the dealer or whatever. Have you have you heard about that? Um, I mean, I started looking into this like, you know, eight nine years ago. I knew this was going to be a thing where, where, you know, attackers could exploit vehicles that are becoming smarter and smarter. Right. This was before Tesla was even even existed. So I'm not up to date on specifically what you're talking about, but you know, with with whenever you have something connected online to the internet, and there's communication channels to it, um, there's potential for flaws in those communication channels that can be exploited. So I'm not shocked to hear that people are able to shut down Teslas or drive them back to the, yeah, to the, the dealership shop. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked to hear that, but, um, I, I can't speak specifically about it. Right. You know, I'm sure Tesla makes a great, great car. I have friends that drive them. Um, uh, I haven't looked in the security implications of that, but that does bring information security to another level mm -hmm. when, um, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a personal vehicle, but it's, again, it's in my line of work, we look for, um, places where the it can it can become kinetic, you know, like the electronic can become kinetic, and and that's typically in critical infrastructure, 
you know, when you can take down like the, the power system or the, the power grid, right? That's what we, right. everyone cares about. Right. But for something like a vehicle, that's another place where, you know, an incident could cause personal harm. You know, or an, or an attack at a hospital causes personal harm. So right. that is really where the rubber meets the road for what we do. Are y'all really kind of talking about that, about the possibility of a, of a hack into our system, like with maybe the grid or whatever? I mean, is that a real threat? It's it's always a threat. Our critical infrastructure, it, it's, it's always... Um, I, I mentioned risk management, right? right? Risk, information security is risk management. So... Um, the fact that now that the internet has grown so much and you do have various systems connected and now they're, they're probably supposed to be on different networks, like I said, segmentation of networks. Right. But when you have things connected on the internet, the risk is up there and you have to pay attention to it. So it's definitely um, a place of great concern for the government. Um, you know, we work very hard with um, like... Uh, um, DHS and CISA and uh, our industry partners out there in the private sector to, to make sure they have the latest information available to them to help protect their networks. And if there are any threats, we make sure we disseminate that information, you know, immediately. Right. Any threats coming from, from anywhere, we want to make sure, you know, everything is locked tight. So we're not dealing with any sort of problems like even like the ice storm caused in texas recently right. where mm -hmm. people without heat and that right. caused i think a lot of personal injuries and probably maybe a, a death or, or so yeah, i think so, so. Mm -hmm. right yeah so we want to prevent all that okay so the, i'm sure y'all work with like let's for instance we get our electricity from tva so i'm, I'm sure y'all work with those guys tva yeah tennessee valley authority yeah oh yes mm -hmm. to make sure that you know there's not a, an intrusion, you know, that just comes in and, and takes over or whatever. And I'm sure that's something y'all are working on. Like, that's probably a 24-hour-a-deal job going on, uh, I would imagine. So I visited TVA here a little over a year ago, and I got to see um, sort of like their little command center, and they are working very hard to keep their network safe. Right. So imagine there are threats all the time to, to the U.S., cyber uh, threats right yes so i'm sure y'all are putting out fires like constantly like just 24 hours a day if you only knew yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I do know a little bit you know? <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to make it sound like you know i don't i, I don't want to scare people definitely yeah but, but it's gonna be a some, constant barrage not a shortage all the time of you know just just uh, uh, actors just trying to to hack into all of our systems and everything mm -hmm. and i'm sure it's just ramping up you know especially with the war going on and things of that nature, it's probably, you know, even more so. Correct. Um, there, there's really kind of two places of threats that we look like, look at. And a lot of times they can overlap for various reasons. It's, it's the criminal threat, which is typically I'm looking to get some money out of a situation. And then like the nation state threat, which is either looking to steal um, corporate secrets or state secrets or to, disrupt and cause damage to critical infrastructure and other systems. So that's really what we're looking at. And that both of those threats, like I said, they can kind of intertwine um, for various reasons. Um, but um, it's definitely a big concern. Right. Do you, do you work like with the military at all or, or NSA? I'm sure it's in, you work with NSA and all that. We work with all the three-letter agencies. Um, a lot of that is done from our headquarters. Like when I, back when I was at headquarters, I used to – you know, deal daily with the CIA, the NSA, 
DHS. Um, you know, we even work with State Department. We work with uh, Secret Service, especially on criminal matters. You know, we have a Secret Service uh, agent on our task force right now. We're working very closely on one of the top ransomware threats out there just coming out of our little office that we're looking at. So so we work with uh, um, all the different partners, all the the USIC is what we call it, the United right. States Intelligence Community. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, and those ransomwares, they just pop up. I, I just can't figure out. I, you know, if people would spend their time on legitimate things rather than spend their time just trying to create havoc in some, I, mm-hmm. I just don't understand why people do that. But, I mean, they do it. Well, sometimes they're operating in a country where it uh, almost looks like a legitimate business, the way they operate mm-hmm. it. I mean, when the groups we're looking at, they have an office building, they go to the office. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like a nine-to-five job, right? For some of them, yeah. Some of these people are on salary. Yeah. Wow. wow. So it's unfortunate, but a lot of times, um, you know, not all governments are playing well in the sandbox. Right, right, right. All right, we're going to take a quick break, uh, and when we get back, uh, Beth, we want to kind of talk to you a little bit about hostage negotiation and kind of that, that your field and kind of talk a little bit about that. So uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. doesn't have to be one of them. Make a choice you won't regret. The foremost choice. Are you looking for your dream home? Well, Lee Realty Group guarantees you the perfect home. With our expert agents that have over 100 years of combined experience, you are assured 100% customer satisfaction. If you are buying or selling, Lee Realty Group is your local veteran-owned real estate company. Contact us now at 615 615- 446-2006 or online at LeeRealtyGroupOnline.com. Like us on Facebook at Lee Realty Group. insurance carrier doesn't have to be one of them. Make the choice you won't regret. The foremost choice. All 
Uh, we welcome you back to the Jeff Eby Show. I'm your host, Jeff Eby, and we're here with uh, representation from the FBI. And before we left, we were talking uh, some more about some cybersecurity, and off-camera, we were talking a little bit about this email thing. So kind of explain that, how these guys um, uh, get into your email. They send you an email, and they want you to just respond, and you're, you, you've been hacked or whatever. Mm-hmm. Correct. So we, we kind of mentioned um, one of the big threats today, ransomware. And the other threat that I'd said is more of a threat to your organization is the business email compromise. And that's more of a s- small business threat. They, uh, small business can also have a big threat from ransomware. But um, the reason why business email compromise is so significant is because what they do is they just trick you into clicking a link. And we all know about this. And right. we're all the weak point. And I had mentioned that even I, I, I fell for right. this, right, at work. They test us. And it was... And, and we used to study this in the behavioral analysis unit, like what makes somebody tick? How can you strike a chord in their emotions? How can right. you um, get them to react in a certain way? And so on this particular email for me, it was, hey, you're delinquent on this training. And I was saying, because our organization is so big into policy and having to keep up on things, right. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm up on that, right? So no, I'm not. Click and bam, ha, they got, we got you. Yeah. And... <laughs> And so it doesn't take much. And I use that as an example just to say anybody can can fall for this. So you got to have procedures in place to catch it, really. Mm-hmm. And so once they get you to click on it and they get some malware installed, or they get you to trick you to send them the password to your email account. When right. they get in your email, then they're going to look for an already existing conversation, transaction, or business relationship in a place where there's an invoice going to, from, and money's being sent. And they will get in the middle of that through spoofing another email or through some other, or just using your account and and getting in front of you if if you're if you take time to check your email, and and they'll trick people into wiring money to different locations, right? And, and millions and millions of dollars are lost every year from that. Yeah, you know, I get those, and then but like for instance, I'll get something from Comcast. Oh, you you owe us blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But then you look at the email, and it's not a Comcast email. Correct. You know, so you know. They're okay. trying to spoof it, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. right. So explain that about spoofing, because they can, can, they can spoof your, uh, uh, your uh, machine ID, right? Um, like machine ID? Yeah, like your, uh, your uh, what do they call that? Um, I can't think of it right now, because somebody was telling me about it, where they can, it will, they can send an email, and it's like, it's like you're sending the email, but it's, it's not you. So you can change header information in the email so it displays a different name um, than where it's coming from. However, if you look very carefully, you can you can actually see what the actual address that it came from was or the actual domain that that email came from. So a, some, a lot of email software only shows the display name, and that's when it, it's really risky. Gotcha. So if you can, you always want to double-check the actual address and what the display name is to make sure they sync up. So so they just need access to an email server and then they can fake the name on it. Mm-hmm. There is a time where, um, you know, if, if they got access to, you know, the jeffebshow.com and that's where you send the emails from, if they, they got into your system um, good enough, they could send an email right from the jeffebshow.com. Mm-hmm. Right. But that is more sophisticated an attack and 
to and they would really need really they have don't a need, reason to be able to, to do they that. They don't need right? to get that sophisticated. Right. Just send an email to trick you. Right. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay. Uh, let's kind of switch gears a little bit. And I want to talk to Beth a bit, a bit about kind of your specialty. And, you know, you, you talked about the uh, hostage negotiation and things of that nature. So kind of give us, uh, again, kind of an overview of, of, of what you do in the FBI. <laughs> Yeah, so currently I'm assigned as the Joint Terrorism Task Force Supervisor. I'm also the supervisor over the crisis negotiation team and uh, came from the crisis negotiation unit. And so I was trained, first joined the team in Chicago in 2006, and then uh, 2010 I became certified going through the FBI's uh, crisis negotiation national course, which is in Quantico, Virginia. And um, after that, became the coordinator in Chicago and, and segued on to the negotiation unit, where I was a full-time negotiator. And Yeah, so what are some of the specific things that you do, like, um, you know, like rolling up on a situation, mm-hmm. like a suicide or, or whatever, you know, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I will say it's very rare that the FBI becomes the lead in a major crisis negotiated event. Uh, obviously, Collierville, Texas, that was probably the most recent. Right. They don't happen day to day. What does happen day to day is a lot of domestic incidences that local police officers will respond to, and those be- some can become barricades or barricades with hostages inside. And so a lot of times where we get a really good training is we'll link up with local departments and we'll go out with them and assist on their call-outs. It's really good training experience with, with for us as well. Right. Uh, one of um, my favorite was in Valparaiso, Indiana, which was up near where I lived. And uh, Jeff Ballin, who's now the chief of Valparaiso Police Department, he was the negotiator on it. And they needed a, assistance and came out and assisted on that. And it was a barricaded individual with hostages at a real estate building. And this was back in 2012. Wow. Um, high dynamic event. Uh, eventually we got the subject to release the hostages and he was barricaded in there alone, but unfortunately uh, he chose to end his life inside. And uh, from there, Jeff Ballin got him to go through an FBI negotiation course because he did such a phenomenal job and now he's the chief there. And um, so what I find most interesting with being a negotiator is the ability to work with local departments and local right. officers and not only to train them because we do put on what we call a 40-hour regional crisis negotiation course. Uh, we actually have one coming up in the Nashville area and local officers, state officers, other federal departments, they'll go through that course. We'll train them as well as FBI agents. It's the initial beginning of our training. Sometimes that's the only training that a lot of departments will get. We offer that for free and uh, trains them to go on out and we just ask them, hey, give us a call if you ever need our assistance or anything. We don't take over like in the movies. Right, right, I know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, because I know on those yeah. TV shows when the FBI rolls up, everybody just like, okay, y'all, y'all are in charge now yes. or whatever, you know. Yeah, but not at all, <laughs> not at all. Um, another huge national incident that ended up, uh, you know, like the Dothan, Alabama, where the, uh, Jimmy Lee Dykes took a little boy a hostage in a bunker. Right. So that that made national news. Um, so that's another very interesting incident that, that happens. But we also handle international kidnapping. So FBI is the lead in investigating international kidnappings. And so because of that, then FBI negotiators handle those. So high 
uh, rate of kidnappings that happen in, in Mexico, unfortunately, right. and some other areas in our southern countries, as well as Nigeria, Yemen, Afghanistan, so on and so forth. And so when an American or U.S. person is taken hostage overseas, then we will go out and assist in the negotiations. And that's assisting the family. So, you know. Yeah, you know, the, uh, the case that I'm thinking of mm-hmm. is the, uh, the women's basketball player that's over in Russia right now. That's not really considered a hostage No, that's situation. a detention, yeah. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. Do y'all get involved in that, something like that? Well, the U.S. government does get involved, obviously. The concern is is U.S. citizen being held there. And uh, so certainly there's a lot of intricacies right, to I that know. type of event. Especially but during this time, you know. Exactly, exactly. So that's not considered a kidnapping uh, necessarily. They're not. We're talking kidnappings where somebody is taken um, – for ransom in exchange for some of money, or is that done in Mexico quite a bit or not? Quite a bit, um, unfortunately, it is. And uh, what we have seen, especially drug cartels, that's a way it's a business for them. Um, they will kidnap people to raise additional funds and things of that nature. We see it a lot, especially in the trafficking people over uh, across the border. They'll somebody doesn't pay or they think they maybe come from a lot of money, they'll hold them even longer and demand more money. And it's very sad that people will take advantage of right. vulnerable people in situations like that. But now, it do y'all deal in trafficking at all? Is your department? Uh, we do. Uh, the FBI does. We, yeah. we definitely do. We have uh, different units and um, squads that will handle human trafficking, whether it's going across the border or, unfortunately, for uh, sexual purposes and things right. like that. So, yes, we do investigate those matters as well. You know, and we've been hearing, you know, in, through the news about a lot of that going on, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sadly. I know, and it's, um, it's, it's hard for us to understand that mm-hmm. because it, it seems like so f- something so far away, but, I mean, it's, it's happening everywhere. It is. You know? Uh, they're kidnapping women, children, whatever, for mm-hmm. whatever perp- nefarious purposes that they want, you yes. know. Yeah, which is sad, which goes into we really need people. If you see something that just doesn't see right, feel, you know, look right, feel right, there's something wrong off with it, please report it. Right. Um, we rely heavily on, you know, public reporting incidences like that, which goes to, you know, we work daily not only, as I talked earlier, working with local departments, state departments, we work with not only government and public sector, but also private sector. And we rely on that in order, maybe direct support for our investigations and operations like tips coming in, right. witnesses providing you know, information, victims speaking up as to what happened to them. And we also work daily as far as information sharing. And in that information sharing with all of these partners, private sector as well as public, we are not only looking for you know, trends and criminal activity that we want to share, um, things to be concerned of, if you will, but also crime prevention strategies. How can we stop this from happening again? For example, like this, this you know, if we can say something that you know might hit somebody, you know what, I, sh- I should report that. That, that right. seems unusual. Please do. Right. Um, then we'll take a look at it. If not to us, please report it to your local police department, you know, county, wherever you're at. Uh, it's very important. We need the public. Um, we can't really effectively investigate and stop criminals and and violent acts from occurring without public assistance. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, when I roll up into like a truck stop or whatever, I'm always looking around Mm -hmm. just trying to see if there's something that doesn't look right or Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, because I think a lot of that stuff kind of goes on in those areas, you know, where they're either trafficking kids or or whatever, you know, and and they all have to pull into those stations to get fuel, right? I'm going to say it it can happen in any segment of society, too. Obviously, I think truck stops has that stigma, 
Um, and some do, and there, there are some very bad instances that, that trafficking that it can occur there. Um, my father was a truck driver and oh, really? a great guy. And yeah. so um, not every truck driver. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no, I know no. what you said. Yeah, but yeah. So it, it is, um, it, it can happen anywhere, especially we see, you know, any high-profile sporting events like right. the Super Bowl, you know, that Yeah, because they say a lot of that child trafficking goes on during the mm-hmm. Super Bowl, Bowl more than any other time, mm-hmm. you know. And, I'm, and people don't realize that, but, yeah. you know, it does. It happens. Yeah. yeah. And Just, you don't want to think about it. You know, but mm-hmm. you know it does happen. It does, which is very unfortunate. So, so y'all yeah. monitor kind of all that kind of stuff. They, do, I mean, we have agents that monitor. We also, you know, we work a lot, as I said, with the local police departments. They, they do a really good job as well as monitoring and looking out for things like that and reporting it. And if it rises to the level of a federal investigation, that's why we have these task forces, and that's why we work together so well with them. So if something rises to that level, then maybe the FBI becomes the lead in that investigation. But if not, then we'll work with locals in their investigation to help them, whether it's with intelligence or other information. You know, the nice thing about the FBI is, as I like to say, we have deep pockets and far arms. So a lot of the negotiation cases that I would work, even if it's a local matter, a domestic barricade where, you know, a husband is angry at his wife, but uh, maybe somebody that we feel can have rapport with him or get some good information lives overseas. Well, the FBI can reach out to, we have legats that are in 180, cover 180 different countries. So there's about 63 legats. These are legal attaches is is the full term for it. They can reach out to um, their liaison partners overseas and and contact that individual. And it can happen very, very quickly. Whereas a lot of local departments may not have access to that. And um, so, yeah, that's where we can. So y'all can bring a lot of resources into a situation like with the Dixon Police Department or the Dixon County Sheriff's Office. Yes, if, yes. If something comes up like that. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, and we we have a lot of coordination with them and collaboration. And, and so if there is a, an incident, a major incident that happens, if they don't have the resources for evidence collection, well, we have an evidence response team that's very robust, and they will happily come out and, and provide that assistance, just like negotiations. If they have an incident that maybe lasts longer than they have negotiators that can handle, you know, right. reach out to us. We'll, we'll happy to supplement that. Um whatever need that they may have, you know, we are happy to come out and assist in, in however way um, because we rely on that back and forth, if you will. And so then once we have, you know, good relationship with different departments, they'll report things up to us that, that might rise to the level of a federal investigation and work together with them. Now, of course, we see this on TV all the time, but informants. I mean, y'all work with a lot of informants, right? I think every law yeah. enforcement agency is successful if they have really good informants. So how, how, do you, how do you develop an informant? I mean, is that, I'm sure that's like a whole process in itself. Oh, it varies. Yeah, yeah. it varies. Uh, when I was up in the gang task force up in Chicago, of course, we relied heavily on informants. And right. sometimes the informants would come voluntarily. Sometimes maybe they would be in trouble but wanted to cooperate in order to possibly lessen yeah, yeah lessen their sentences if you will and depending on the level of cooperation maybe you know they needed uh, financial motivation however it is and um, certainly you know um, we recognize that depending on the type of uh, matter you're investigating, you may be dealing with a criminal who is your informant. So we, we understand that. Um, we try to treat everyone with respect as long as we get respect, whether informants or even our subjects that we're investigating and maybe eventually interrogate and, and, and talk to. And so it, 
it's important um, for sure to have good in, informants, ones that we can vet out and trust and uh, in order to further And I'm sure, uh, you know, a lot of times informants like turn on you or whatever too. I'm sure that's, that happens all the time. Uh, it happens with every agency. I don't, right. Not to the level I think you see in movies sometimes. Yeah, I know. You see it all the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but informants, unfortunately, especially, you know, if I'm investigating a gang and I need an informant who is a, a gang member, well, you know, they also have a lot of... Uh, unfortunately influences in other areas that right. may sway them to make bad decisions. And if they make a bad decision and we find out about it, well, they're no longer as effective for us. And maybe they become targets now instead of informants, depending on whatever it is they may or may not have done. Right. Right. So, yeah. All right. We're going to go to break mm -hmm. real quick and uh, stay with us. We're going to come back and kind of wrap this, uh, our discussion up. So stay with us. We'll be right back. doesn't have to be one of them. Make a choice you won't regret. The foremost choice. Are you looking for your dream home? Well, Lee Realty Group guarantees you the perfect home. With our expert agents that have over 100 years of combined experience, you are assured 100% customer satisfaction. If you are buying or selling, Lee Realty Group is your local veteran-owned real estate company. Contact us now at 615-446-2006 or online at LeeRealtyGroupOnline.com. Like us on Facebook at Lee Realty Group. insurance carrier doesn't have to be one of them. Make the choice you won't regret. The foremost choice. Welcome you back uh, to the Jeff Eby Show. I'm your host, Jeff Eby, and we are here. We've been here all hour talking with uh, a couple of FBI agents. It's been a really interesting conversation so, so far. But there was a couple of things we wanted to cover. 
Um, you wanted to cover... Yes, uh, the Citizens Academy. So yes. I know I touched on how we work daily with public and private sector partners. We also offer a Citizens Academy. A lot of local departments offer the same thing too, county, uh, sheriffs, as, as well as local PD. Those are phenomenal. Please get involved in those. But yes. the FBI also does have um, a Citizens Academy as well. Looks like uh, we may be starting the next one up in spring of 2023. Okay. I can't believe we're 2022 right now. And um, so, yes, for sure, if anybody, uh, you know, involved in any organization, um, private sector business, things like that is interested, you know, please uh, contact our office and we can get you some information on that because it's really good. It shows you what it's like to be an FBI agent, kind of puts you through the rules and you see different segments. We have a lot of, you know, our SWAT team as well as the evidence response team and things of that. And it's really interesting for people to kind of get an inside view sure, on, sure. on what it's like. So let's say mm-hmm. somebody's watching this and they're in high school or whatever right now and they're thinking, hey, you know, that seems like something I might want to do. So yes. what do you suggest they do? Oh, well, to be an agent, yes. uh, you know, for sure, keep number one, first and foremost, uh, stay in physical shape and keep your life clean as right. far as don't break any laws, don't um, use drugs and things of that nature. And, uh, and those things will haunt you. They, people don't they realize do. yeah. if you get like a a possession charge mm-hmm. or something, that, mm-hmm. that haunts you, you know, for a long it, it time. It can, yeah. Know? Yeah, watch what you post online as well. Just like if you're trying to get a job at a business, you know, they may not want to hire somebody that might post some things that are inappropriate online. And right. same with the FBI or any, you know, federal government agency. But, yeah, if, if you're interested, check out FBI.gov as far as different requirements. Of course, you need a college degree. And um, Is there a better, uh, like, um, subject matter to take in college that would help them for that? No. You know, when I came in, of course, there was law degree was big. Uh, cyber is, is really big right now. Of course, foreign languages is always big. We also take military, law enforcement officers, things that we Accounting take is big. Yeah. you got to follow the money, yeah. too. Right. But we yeah. take people from all facets of life. And, and here's what I always tell people that are interested. It is so hard to get into the Bureau, unfortunately, because there's so many applicants for very little spots available right. that do something that you will love. You know, don't go into law enforcement if you, or don't, you know, get a criminal justice degree if you don't want to work for a local department or, or do something of that because it's so hard to get in, you may not get in, and there's not a lot you can do with a criminal justice degree other than, you know, go to police departments or even teach or, you know, if you don't really want to do accounting, you know, don't get that CPA if right. you're not actually interested in doing it. And then that way, if you don't get into the bureau, you're still doing something that you really enjoy. And, right. and you I wouldn't like. major in basket weaving, though. I don't uh, think that. Yeah, that, that might be a tough, yeah. tough mm-hmm. sale, right? We want to take people from all facets of life because we we have undercover programs, and right. we got to be able to blend in all areas. Yeah, we we also go out, we engage with the public, and so we want to have people that have they're well round, rounded and so which is important not only the college degree you should have at least three years of work experience i believe is the requirement right. minimum age is 23 to apply uh maximum unfortunately is 37 uh but we do make waivers for military backgrounds and <laughs> things of that nature and so um but yes it's i encourage if you're interested please check it out um you do have to have a polygraph, so make right. sure you are truthful in what you can do. Yeah. I'm a physical fitness advisor, and uh, so we put on a physical fitness test. So we will. It's very big on protocol and form, um, but you know, so maintain that physical fitness not only for yourself, but you know, also right. if you want to 
Right, right. So where, where is that academy going to be? Is it going to be in Nashville? So the uh, the Citizens Academy yes. will be out of Nashville, but okay. they'll, they'll travel around oh, uh, gotcha. from there. And that's to give you kind of an ins- inside peek. Um, obviously, if you once you get into the, if you apply as an agent, um, you'll go to the Quantico, Virginia for our, our schooling. Sure. Um, but the other thing we did want to talk about, I'll, I'll segue back to Kevin, is a lot of these, um, you, see, you see something, say something, not only in day-to-day life, but if you see something unusual, um, um, on the internet, for sure, report that. Uh, for my position with, I, I, I'm the JTTF, the Joint Terrorism Task Force Supervisor, part of that is domestic terrorism. We get a lot of reporting for people that post things online or maybe uh, groups that have online pages. And we do not investigate ideology alone. Mm-hmm. And so we need some sort of threat, violent act by an individual or groups of individuals. And so if they see threats online, Please report that. Uh, but not only that, also segueing back to, you know, maybe being defrauded if you think somebody is trying to hack into your system or if you feel you're taken advantage of over the Internet and any there is a reporting process for that. Uh, yes, IC3.gov, the Internet Crime Complaint Center. You just go there, click file complaints, explain all the details of the incident, and there are analysts that review that information, and then they're farming cases out to the field. Right. And then, like, agents on my squad will visit that database frequently to look for connections amongst cases, mm-hmm. which helps um, either advance the investigation or even um, get agreement from the U.S. Attorney's Office to pursue a prosecution on a matter. I'm sure there's a lot of threats uh, initiated mm-hmm. on the internet, either through whatever Facebook or whatever medium that people use. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure a lot of them are not credible, but I, I'm, I'm sure a vast number of them are, right? And I, I, that's kind of the stuff y'all sift through. Mm, we do. Yeah, that's a little different matter than IC3.gov. IC3.gov is more of an internet fraud, okay. internet crime type thing. For for anything threat-related, we... we we say, you know, need to contact the local police department mm-hmm. in yeah. that area. Gotcha. Because they're the ones that can respond immediately to that threat. So when we do get online threats and other threats, we work together with, um, like, the Fusion Center here. There's an intelligence fusion center to disseminate the threats to our state partners, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, as well as to local departments, whatever jurisdiction it is. We make sure to get that information out there. You know, we obviously do not want to be a bottleneck at looking at any particular threats. With that said, there is um, threats like threats to schools where that, you know, there's prosecutions where even, you know, people just around that age of 18, once they cross that age, you know, they they could be prosecuted if there's like a bomb threat or something to the school. We will heavily look into that. Yeah. yeah, So even at the local level, if that was the case, like a bomb threat, that's something y'all get involved in, right? Well, we take all threats seriously. So certainly if there is a, a bomb threat, you know, we'll look into it. Bomb techs will go out. We have bomb techs with the FBI that work with the bomb techs with local departments. And so they'll go out to make sure, first and foremost, that the scene is safe. So, yes, if there is a bomb threat, first call should be to the local police department. We'll, we'll make sure it's safe, but then we'll work together with them to investigate who is making this threat. 
Um, and if it's a hoax threat, a real threat, that, that'll be the first determination. A lot of, I think there's been national news about the historically black colleges have received a lot of threats right. around the country. Those we feel at this time, um, I'm not involved in the, that investigation, but it, I think it's been put out that juveniles may be involved in that. Um, not to say that juveniles won't be prosecuted. Right. Federally, probably not, but, but locally they could be prosecuted if they do something of that nature. So uh, we, we don't want that to be encouraged at all sure. and we take them seriously we do investigate it to the fullest and we will work with local officers to make sure that it's investigated to fullest cool. yes mm-hmm. all right well we're coming kind of to the end is there anything that the that you want to give out to our audience any particular thing about the fbi that that anything else that you can think of uh, the only thing I look, like our duty is to protect the american public first and foremost and it's also to uphold the constitution and right. so we, one is not done at the expense of the other, and uh, that is our job, and we take it very seriously, but we cannot do our job without the public and private sector, so we need you know, everybody to help work together with us in order to prevent crimes from being committed, prevent violence from happening, and ensure our safety and right. our national security. So if somebody well spoken. W- yeah. So if somebody wanted to uh, go to the Citizens Academy, yes. what, what, what do they need to do? I would call uh, the... FBI office, the local office, wherever they're located at, and inquire about it. And they'll get directed to our public affairs officer who can talk them through the process and and find out. It's Obviously, there may be an interest from somebody who may not be a qualified candidate, and we'll vet that out, but we definitely want to have uh, people from a wide range sure. of backgrounds coming through so they can understand what... Is there an age requirement for that? Do you know? There, there is a uh, Youth Citizens Academy that they put on for certain um, field offices, and I know up in Chicago they had something similar to that. Um, but then there's also the adult one, so not necessarily, it's just adults. So if you're an 18-year-old and you're running a you know, uh, car company in, or a car sales company in your area, and you know, if you deal with a lot of different avenues of the public, we might want you to come through because through that relationship, you know, we develop some rapport with them and that provides more information flowing through. There's um, one other program that we have called InfraGuard where um, it's, it's for really what we consider the 16 critical infrastructure sectors. And so if um, like banking would be one, education would be one. So if somebody works for an organization in one of those sectors, we do have a group of people that meet together and we're able to disseminate specific information to them mm-hmm. that might be important to them to know. And it gives them greater access to some of our intelligence reporting and other things and you know, networking amongst the community. A lot of it's focused on information security, but it's not all focused on that. It just kind of seems to be the flavor of right. the mm-hmm. decade, maybe. Yes, exactly. Um, but that's another program that we have that, that people could also be interested in that re- would really help, like, private sector partners. Cool, cool. Well, let me just say thank you so much for coming thank on you. today. I mean, y'all have been a wealth of knowledge, and I, I think it's really going to help people kind of understand what y'all do a little bit and kind of what the agency does. and. We just appreciate your service. I know that um, you know a lot of times you don't get much uh, appreciation, maybe mm-hmm. from the public or whatever. But I'm going to say uh, I appreciate y'all, and I know Thank our you, Jeff. yeah, Thank I know you. our community appreciates y'all, and uh, we just want to help you know however we can in our community to support what y'all do at a federal level or even at the state level or whatever. So 
Thank Again, thank you. I really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks very much, Jeff, yeah. for having us on. Yeah, thank you. Well, we thank you for watching. Um, be sure to tune in next week. Next week we have a one of our uh, actual our uh, judges, circuit court judges oh. coming up. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting show. So, again, if you will like and share this on Facebook, and if you're watching on YouTube, please like and give me the thumbs up. And we're also, again, available on Spotify. So thank you again for joining us, and uh, we will see you next week. <laughs>